you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. It is the final show of the week. So hey, buckle up, hit that like button, otherwise I'll punch you in the throat. And let's just jump into it. And y'all, the first thing that we're gonna talk about today is sports, but it's not really a sports story. Yes, it involves the NFL, but it's bigger than that. It's really more about society and accountability and maybe even hypocrisy. If you don't know anything about sports, don't worry, I'm gonna make it consumable. So John Gruden, two things you need to know about him. One, he is the now former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And two, uh, John's having a no good, very bad week. And that is because unlike Hillary Clinton, they found his emails and they found them in a seemingly unrelated investigation into the Washington football team, right? Another club. And among the things they found in these emails that dated years back, we're talking about a union leader who is black, he criticizes intelligence and use racist tropes to describe his face. And other emails he used, gay slurs, misogynistic language. Also reportedly exchanging emails with other men that included photos of topless women, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders. Notably, those photos are from an official squad trip to Costa Rica where some cheerleaders said that they were required to be topless as part of a calendar shoot. But the most was saying that they were promised that the photos themselves wouldn't show nudity. Even more creepily, a group of all male sponsors and FedEx suite holders were reportedly granted up close access to the photo shoots. And that is connected to another NFL story where 40 women have accused former Washington football team employees of sexual harassment and verbal abuse. And while this story has sparked up a debate we've seen a number of times in different instances, some people saying, oh my God, there's no place for this in the league. I don't care how old these emails are. Others saying, oh my God, this is cancel culture, run amok. This is years ago. We should allow people to change. You can feel free to jump into that debate, but where I want to take this story today is another focus. And that's that it appears that we don't always use the same energy for all people. Right, like with John Gruden, uh, pretty much everyone out there is throwing bleach on any connection they have. Some just throwing the whole body in the tub, pouring acid on it. Like this dude lost a Skechers deal and I'm also kind of thinking like, how did John Gruden get a fucking Skechers deal? But one of the things that really stood out is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was a team that he coached for a while, issued a statement saying, while we acknowledge John Gruden's contributions on the field, his actions go against our core values as an organization. Therefore, he will no longer continue to be a member of the Buccaneers Ring of Honor. And almost immediately, people questioning what core value. Some looking to things more recently, like the signing of Richard Sherman, a man who was arrested over the summer, hit with five charges, two of which have a domestic violence designation. But seemingly when they saw this video, they were like, I like that aggression. We need that on defense. But also, especially because of the Ring of Honor connection, you have many people pointing to Warren Sapp. Now I lived in Florida for a time as I was growing up. Warren Sapp was essentially a god there. But you have people wondering how is he still in the Ring of Honor? Because hey, after he was in the NFL, some of his last big claims to fame as he was arrested in Arizona for not only soliciting a prostitute, but also then assaulting her. In Nevada, he was arrested on a domestic battery charge. But Sapp actually pleading guilty to the Arizona charges, but they were later dropped after a completion of a court-ordered counseling. As far as Nevada, he pleaded no contest, did probation, community service, fines, and counseling. You know, things you do when you're innocent. And while some will say that's what aboutism, which yes, is annoying, I think this is uh, more connected. This is a comparing and contrasting. Like for the Buccaneers, where exactly is the line? Or would Sapp be removed if after assaulting a sex worker, he then used a racial slur? Is that the line? Or is there really no line? And it's all about public relations and trying to limit backlash. Once again, this is not a defense of John Gruden, but a question of where's that same energy? for the countless other people that are in or have been in the league. Then in ultra spicy news, we had Joe Rogan in the news because he had CNN's medical expert Sanjay Gupta on his podcast. And here's what I'll say. I've been very critical of Joe Rogan when he spreads vaccine misinformation or he gets things wrong and thus promotes vaccine hesitation.
presidency, but also I've been very critical of, and I think it's fucked up and stupid the way that CNN handled it when he actually got COVID, saying that Rogan was taking a livestock drug, a horse dewormer, doing something that for the sake of lawyers will say uh, was them assuming or just outright lying. When in fact, yes, there is a horse dewormer version of ivermectin that a number of people were taking, but also there is the human version, which a lot of experts have said does not help when it comes to COVID. All they had to say was that Joe Rogan took a drug that the FDA has issued warnings about, saying that it is not approved to prevent or treat the virus. But they went the route that they did, and that brings us to today, because the, the clip that's getting the most traction, the most attention right now, is Joe Rogan calling out CNN and asking for Sanjay Gupta to respond. They lied what and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor, yeah, yeah, yeah. along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill, because there were people that were taking it, the veterinary medication, and I... You're not, obviously. You got it from a doctor, so that it shouldn't be called that. Ivermectin can be a very effective medication for parasitic disease. Can I just come back to the one? I want to talk about I, two, no, no, two, no, no, two no, things no. on you the have ledger. To, you have, before we get to that, does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer. They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. Right, so unfortunately for Sanja, he seems in no way prepared to answer that question, which is kind of surprising because you have to know that it's coming. Rogan not letting him run away from it, metaphorically letting those hands fly. But what I would also say, and I, I don't know how many people are actually gonna do it because everyone kind of just consumes everything in clips, I'd actually recommend listening to this full podcast. But if you listen to the whole thing, it's actually a pretty great conversation, even though I, I know everyone just kind of at this point kind of like hears what they wanna hear, everyone's got their lines drawn in the sand. But I thought it was great where, you, where you're having a conversation where Rogan's bringing up things like an extremely rare heart condition that can happen as an adverse vaccine reaction in kids. But Gupta pointing out in the conversation that kids who get COVID are far more likely to have that happen to them. So if you get vaxxed, it actually reduces the risk. And, but then you've also got to look at what is, as you point out, the risk of getting myocarditis with the disease COVID as opposed to the vaccine. And it was higher. It was with higher. With children. With children. This, this, really? These studies were in children. And it was about 16 times higher. Now, keep in mind, 16 times higher sounds like a lot, but we're still talking about five out of a million versus now maybe just under 100 out of a million. So it's still really rare. Now, the one thing I will say about the vaccinated patients who got myocarditis is that they they were all treated. You also have him and Rogan talking about what it is to have COVID and then like, quote, be fine, noting that it's not just about if you're going to the hospital or not. You, you get teenagers who, who will have these long COVID naps. You get, you get, what does that mean? They just, they're tired all the time. They get these sort of long hauler type symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, less so in kids. But, you know, when you talk about 33% of people having persistent symptoms that last months, I just feel like we define, like, I think we're allowed to have a nuanced conversation about this. Right, with them adding that this disease and its impact should be measured in more than just life and death, right? Will it kill you? Will you live? As well as talking about, you know, people recommending or not recommending certain people get vaccinated, right? Natural immunity versus vaccination. So for you, Joe Rogan. Yes. I would say you've had it. Yes. So now get one shot of the vaccine. No. Why not? Because I have better immunity than I would if I was vaccinated. Though so we've seen health officials refute Rogan's claims, saying the vaccine is the better and more effective option. But ultimately, where I'll end this is I'm, I am genuinely surprised that Sanjay Gupta went on the podcast. I'm not saying it's a good idea or a bad idea. Sanjay is saying that he went on despite his friends saying, don't do it. And even Sanjay, in a piece that he wrote after the podcast, he seems somewhat conflicted, writing, I, I guess a small part of me thought I might change Joe Rogan's mind about vaccines. After this last exchange, I realized it was probably futile. His mind was made up and 
there would always be plenty of misinformation out there neatly packaged to support his convictions. Truth is though, I am still glad I did it. My three hour long conversation wasn't just with Rogan. If just a few of his listeners were convinced it will have been well worth it. But I don't know how true that is. I don't know how many people can appreciate nuance or that both parties in something can be wrong about different things and just saying that doesn't mean that they're equally wrong. They can be wrong in different ways, more meaningfully or not. But also, does that mean we stop trying to have conversations? Because then it's just game over, but maybe it is game over. But with all of that said and understanding that this is from a three-hour podcast where we, we're not covering everything, what are your thoughts with this story? And it could be on, there's a number of aspects to, to sink your teeth into. I'd really love to know. Also, in news regarding the vaccine, especially for those of you that are like, I got my vaccination, what's all this about boosters? Do I need one? Is it just for the ultra vulnerable? Do I need to get the same exact one or can I switch over? Right, wondering if I got the J&J shot, can I do the hokey pokey with the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine? And now, thanks to some preliminary data from the National Institutes of Health, we kind of have an answer, which is always a great thing to say, kind of. Because keep in mind, none of this has actually been peer reviewed yet, so things could change. But for now, the evidence and data here seems to suggest that people who receive the J&J shot will experience stronger antibody levels after getting boosters of either Pfizer or Moderna. But the data also reportedly suggesting that people who originally got Pfizer or Moderna will see a similarly strong response after getting a booster from either. And overall, seeming to showcase that the mixing of these vaccines is also safe. But like I said, we're not quite there yet. Up to this point, only the Pfizer vaccine has been approved by the FDA as an actual booster, and even then, only among certain populations. Which actually, on that note, the FDA spent today reviewing and ultimately approving Moderna's booster again, though only for certain populations. And tomorrow they'll look into the same question for J&J, with them also reportedly considering the idea of mixing vaccines, though here they're not actually scheduled to make any official recommendation just yet. So it's gonna be very interesting to watch, and at least in the United States, this is kind of the, I feel like a turning of a chapter. A lot of the focus is now gonna be on booster shots as well as shots for kids. Which, actually regarding the former, the number of people getting boosters here in the United States has now officially surpassed the number of people getting their first doses. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today, show, Vessi. You know, honestly, it is very hard to find lightweight shoes that actually keep your feet warm and dry through rain, snow, mud, and Vessi did it again with their brand new sneaker, the Everyday Move, and I love them. If you didn't already know, Vessi makes 100% waterproof and snowproof sneakers that are incredibly comfortable, breathable, and actually pretty stylish. Which is also why they're perfect whether you're running errands, hitting the gym, going to the park with the kids, or even on muddy hikes. The new Everyday Move sneaker still has their Dymatex material. Why mess with perfection? A dual climate knit that keeps you cool in the summer, warm in the winter. It's for the explorer looking to take their activities up a notch or just for that sportier look. With a silhouette inspired by the natural movement of water designed to get you moving. So if you want to feel like you're walking on cloud, just go to Vessi.com slash Franco right now and be sure to use code DeFranco at checkout to get $25 off. And be sure and grab some now while they still have your size and you'll definitely be thanking me later. And then we should definitely talk about this news and controversy around Katie Couric and her interview with Ruth Bader Ginsburg back in 2016. And that is because in an excerpt from her upcoming book, because of course that's why we're hearing about it now, she said that she asked Ginsburg about her thoughts on athletes like Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national anthem. And in the final story published for Yahoo News, Couric wrote that Ginsburg said, I think it's really dumb of them. Would I arrest them for doing it? No. I think it's dumb and disrespectful. I would have the same answer if you asked me about flag burning. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. But also, there was apparently a lot more to the quote, with Couric reportedly writing that Ginsburg also said that this form of protest showed a, quote, contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life, which they probably could not have lived in the places they came from. As they became older, they realized that this was youthful folly. And that's why education is important. With Couric now saying that she struggled on her decision to cut that part out, the post saying that Couric wrote that she felt a need to protect Ginsburg, who she said was elderly and probably didn't understand the question. The Supreme Court's head of public affairs also apparently emailed Couric to cut her comments about kneeling, saying she had misspoken. With Couric writing that she was a big RBG fan, she was losing lots of sleep over this, she felt conflicted. And while I think this is a very interesting thing to learn, it's also gotten Couric a lot of backlash from pretty much both sides. Some saying this is Couric deciding to monetize 
tarnishing RBG's legacy. And then on the other side, you have people saying that Couric was unethical. She lacked journalistic integrity and writing things like, completely indefensible for Katie Couric to withhold this from the public to protect a sitting Supreme Court justice. With people saying, like, trying to justify this because Ginsburg was old is, it doesn't make sense. Right? If she wasn't able to handle the question, she shouldn't be sitting on the highest court in the land. But yeah, let me know your thoughts on this, where you land, why, let me know in those comments. And then we should definitely talk about this big news involving the January 6th insurrection and the human version of a wet fart during a hot day, Steve Bannon. And that's because the House Committee that's investigating the insurrection announced today that they're seeking to hold Steve Bannon in criminal contempt for refusing to comply with a subpoena, which marks a significant escalation in the panel's efforts to force Trump administration officials to comply with its probe amid the former president's growing efforts to obstruct the probe. Right? If you don't know, in recent weeks, Trump has launched a number of attempts to block the panel from getting key documents, testimonies, and other evidence requested by the committee that he claims are protected by executive privilege. Notably, some of those assertions have been shut down. Like just last week, President Biden rejected Trump's effort to withhold documents relating to the insurrection. But you also had the former president directing former officials in his administration not to comply with subpoenas or cooperate with the committee. With that demand coming after the panel issued subpoenas ordering depositions from Bannon, as well as three former officials, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Deputy Chief of Staff Dan Scavino, Pentagon Chief of Staff Cash Patel. And so after Trump issued the demand, Bannon's lawyer announced that he wouldn't obey the subpoena, citing Trump's executive privilege claims. This, despite the fact that Bannon left the White House in 2017, and many legal experts have questioned whether he can actually claim executive privilege for something that happened when he wasn't working for the executive. Right, and so we're in this situation where today's decision from the committee is massive. It'll likely set up a legal battle and test how much authority the committee can and will exercise here. It also sets a key precedent because while Bannon is the first former officials who openly defy the committee, there have been reports that others plan to do the same. The committee had previously said Patel and Meadows were engaging with investigators ahead of their respective depositions today and Friday. But today, well, we ended up seeing several reports that both former officials are now expected to be given an extension or continuance. The source is also saying that Scavino, who is asked to testify tomorrow, has had his deposition postponed. Now, with all of that said, as far as what happens to Bannon next, according to reports, the committee will vote to adopt the criminal contempt report next week. Once that's done, it'll go to the House for a full vote. Then, assuming the Democratic-held House approves it, it gets referred to the U.S. Attorney of the District of Columbia to bring the matter before a grand jury. But for now, we'll have to wait and see how things actually go down. Also, speaking of criminal charges and the insurrection, we should definitely talk about the interesting news regarding the charges for the rioters. We've got over 650 people who have been charged in connection to the mob. And now we're seeing in recent weeks a number of judges taking it upon themselves to impose more extreme sentences than what prosecutors are asking for. News like just yesterday, a judge sentenced two cousins who stormed the Capitol and took selfies to 45 days in jail, which was more than two weeks longer than what prosecutors were asking for. And the day before that, the same judge ordered a two-week jail sentence and 60 hours of community service for another defendant whom prosecutors only recommended probation. And in fact, we're even seeing this from some Trump-appointed judges. For example, Tuesday, a U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden who was appointed by Trump, levying a stronger punishment against a man who turned himself into the FBI. Now, others are implying that they may take similar action, like Beryl Howell, the chief judge of the federal court in Washington who openly suggested the prosecutors were just being far too lax by allowing defendants to plead guilty to just misdemeanor offenses. But they're arguing that those who face low-level offenses still played a role in terrorizing members of Congress. But ultimately, that is where the story and today's show ends. And as always, I'd love to know your thoughts on today's story, whether it be the last one, the first one, anything in between. Also, thank you for liking, sharing, all the good stuff. But as almost always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.